0: The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Is your faith genuine? A life-giving marriage of belief and practice. Andy Andrew asks, are you a fake or a follower?
1: We're all faking something, right? So can we be real about that? And I think it's just more of a journey of being patient with ourselves, walking out the journey on a daily basis. Because, I mean, I talk about posting it or living it. I talk about the fact that we live in a time again where it's like, oh, you know, praying for a hashtag or whatever, I'm like, but are we? Like, are we praying? Like, I don't
2: know. Today I'm Sheila Walsh here with Randy Robertson Hello, hello. And we have a great studio audience, but I'm also really excited about our guest tonight. Um, the book is called Fake Our Follower, and when I read Andy's book, Andy Andrew's book, there was such a sense to me of this being kind of a prophetic word for the times that we are living in. So let's unpack that, please. Would you help me welcome Andy Andrew?
3: Good to have you back.
2: It's great to have you here and your book is really it really had an impact on me Mm. Um, But there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about first Um, You talk about being Started to write the book, and then yeah. your mum, your, yeah. delu- your beautiful mother-in-law, passed. Yeah. Talk to us about that, and how did that impact yeah. your writing?
1: Yeah, there was a couple of significant moments in the middle of the writing, and that that was one of them. I had just begun the journey of writing, and you know she was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. So I call her mum because my husband's Australian, so um, she was my mum-in-law. And uh, she was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor and our hearts were completely broken. I mean, we were believing for a miracle. We had, you know, everybody on the prayer list, intercessors around the clock, everybody praying. And ultimately we got to a place where, um, I remember I was sitting in hospice. I had my laptop there on my lap and really was grappling with this message and what I felt God was speaking to me. And as I watched, um, as I watched my father-in-law, why? As I watched my father-in-law, you know, just loving her and kissing her on the forehead. And she she had lived such a beautiful life, started to write music and um, hadn't always been saved since I knew her, but gave her life to Jesus and followed him with everything. But as he was kissing her on the forehead towards the end of her life, um, I was sitting there and it was like the spirit of God asked me this question. If you knew... If you knew the hour and the day that you would leave this earth, how would you live your life? And what letter would you write to your children? What letter would you write to your church? And what letter would you write to the church? And really, this book is that love letter in the times that we're living in right now. And so that was kind of one of the major moments um, and pivotal points of, of writing this book. Why
3: yeah. is that hitting you so hard right now?
1: Ah, um, I think because sorry, wow, well, it was not worth no, no, <laughs> Sorry
3: for that. I tell you what, you know, we're talking about being fake or not, yeah. and this is real. That's why. Well, I this is
1: why my church laughs at me all the time because I'm like, oh, I'm crying again, and they're like, yes, this is normal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everyone's very used to it. Uh, But I think for me, because it was like that, you know, when you're going through the motions and we all get there, we don't, we don't mean to, we begin to follow Jesus. We have this moment where we're like, I am done with the way my life was. I'm going to begin to follow him, but I don't know what happens or what triggers us to walk down this place where we begin to fake it and pick up this baggage and put up these walls. And I think for me, the finality that life on this earth ends caused me to lean into the eternal again and remember oh my gosh, like wake up. And I think that's the thing is I had this, this vision and this picture just while I was speaking to my church actually about the church hitting the snooze alarm. And I think, you know, God's been very patient with us, but it's time for us to swing our feet over the side of the bed
2: and actually wake up. Mm. And for me, that was a wake up call.
1: And so, yeah, I think that's
2: why it's hit me so hard. You mentioned another thing in the book that I thought, gosh, that's the last thing I would use to describe Andy. Because I remember the first time I heard you preach (laughs) and you were like this little fireball. I was (laughs) captivated. But you talk about delivering a message and then this woman sing to you, you were cute and entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: that was a totally interesting story. I think for me, and it all coincided with the writing of this as well. So, I mean, God was moving powerfully. People were being healed, like crazy things were taking place in this meeting. So then when I get down in this well-meaning woman comes up to me and says, "Why well, aren't you just so cute and entertaining? I was like, I think I might hurt you, like you. actually <laughs> hurt you. And um, I think why it was so disturbing for me that, she came to be entertained or that I could be entertaining. And I went, God, if this is what I'm doing if I am entertaining people when this is meant to be the gospel the good news then I quit I'm done I don't want to do this anymore because if this isn't a message that is coming alive and changing people's lives then what is the point point? and I realized that what we are creating unfortunately not everybody but in this Western church culture is consumers that are coming to consume and I'm like but are we being transformed by the gospel is this changing us so I was angry and so that night <laughs> I could hardly sleep my poor Friend was with me, and she was like, she she doesn't do well in awkward situations. She's like, what do I do with my hands? Because she could tell I was like really angry, <laughs> trying to not hurt this beautiful woman. Um, but I went back that night, and uh, just, being we, yeah. Yeah. just being real here, just being real. Hi, um, yeah. <laughs> so, um. So anyway, that night though, I actually had a crazy dream. And I only wanna share part of it because the rest of it is in the book. But in the dream, I was actually walking through downtown Brooklyn, which I live in Brooklyn, with my two youngest kids, two out of two out of four. And I was walking there and in my dream, my guardian angel was to my shoulder. And as we were walking, there was dead, Bodies piled up by the subway station, and people were taking selfies with the dead bodies, and the police were trying to push them off, and it was very disturbing to watch. Then I came around the corner in front of Borough Hall, and you could tell that the night before there had been a raid that had taken place, and there was severed heads and charred bodies everywhere. I It was super intense. So hi, um, <laughs> don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll move forward. Um, but and there was landmines everywhere, and as I held my children's hands, they had no fear, and my angel looked at me and nodded at me to walk right into the landmines. And I walked out there holding my children's hands without any fear. The next morning I woke up and I was like, Uh, so do I need to be praying for my city? Or God, are you trying to tell me something? And the moment I asked that question, He said to me, actually, no, you don't need to pray. This is the state of the church today as that we're so all consumed with ourselves that there are dead people walking around. There's dead bodies piled up. We're taking selfies with dead people that need the good news of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And we're so unaware Mm -hmm. that we are not even living. And when what we're meant to do is grab the next generation by the hand and walk them into the deepest, darkest of places, the scariest Mm -hmm. of places and shine the light of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right. (laughs) And so he woke me up in two different ways and said, are you faking this? Because I've called you to the city, to these people, to show them that this works, that Jesus works. Because gone are the days where we can just check a box and have pseudo Christianity where we show up for church and that's it. That doesn't work. And I think there's a generation alive today that's a little bit Shaken up, you know.
3: <laughs> you, you're, the title of the book, "Fake or mm-hmm. Follower." Yeah. You know, fakery is something that that yeah. Christians are often accused of. Yeah. But I, I don't see you as, as like accusing people of being fakes. Mm-hmm. I think it's something we yeah. we don't always realize we're doing yeah. necessarily. Totally. Well, how do you look at
1: it? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think that's, that's the whole point is I want people to walk through and look at themselves and go, has this become a rote religion for me? Or am I actually... See, because if you read the Gospels, that's confronting. To actually follow Jesus in his ways is incredibly confronting and I just don't know that that's where where we're at at the moment and and so this is yeah it's not accusatory it's more like guys take this because we there's a shift happening in the church right now and if we don't pay attention if we're not listening I don't know what's going to happen and so we have to awaken to this and it's a it's a call to action it's a call to wake up it's a call to kind of step into the mess of our own lives and go God search my heart and show me how
2: to live what's the difference in your mind, Andy, yeah. between going to church and being part of community, yeah,
1: that's a big one. I I address that. There's a there's a whole chapter on community, and it's interesting that when my husband and I, my husband's Australian, so when we, I think I already mentioned that. <laughs> I think I must really like that he's Australian. Um, he's got a great accent, so like Sheila over here. Uh, so, you know, when we moved uh, from from Sydney to New York, it was interesting because we felt God asking us to call our Church, like where we planted communities, which we hadn't heard that language before. But then when we moved to New York, we realized it's the one thing people are desperate for mm. that we're overly connected. Um, but yeah, so lonely. And I realized that in New York City, it's it's there's people everywhere. But a crowd is a dime a dozen. But to have true community, yeah. you know, that's actually really hard yeah. and really beautiful. And so what we realized that if if millennials and the younger generation and these people that really is most of our church, I'm like, I'll take more gray hair. Anyone? <laughs> like you know, <laughs> please. Um, but I love our church. I love it so that it's so young. But I think the thing that we realized if people. Are are not gonna watch TV online and actually show up on a Sunday or show up during the week for discipleship, then community has to be real. Mm. But it's not that easy to actually build. So we like, I think has become a buzzword, but to actually build it, it's really messy.
2: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> community is messy. I mean, mm-hmm. what would you say to people who are like, you know, I want to be part of something like that. But what if I share who I really am? Right. And right. people are like, whoa, no, right. thank you. Right. Yeah. I was just going to ask. You were going to ask that, <laughs> ask that too. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean because <laughs> the,
3: the, I think the problem is, is sometimes with transparency, people see the ugly.
1: And that's what I think we're actually afraid of. It's the biggest thing we want and the biggest thing we're afraid of. And, and, and because what we're not sure of is when you see the real me, will, will you reject me or will you receive
3: me? Or will you reject God because I'm so human?
1: Right. Yeah, ex- right. that is true. And so it's interesting. I talk, I break this down. So it- uh, what ended up happening was in 2016 um, I don't the summer of 2016 when um, there was all of those shootings of black men and then the shootings in Dallas and like all of that and it it really affected the church it affected us deeply and I think what ended up happening was our community went into this big messy messy season we're still I think we're constantly in a cycle if you will but I think what we ended up doing was having a conversation about race justice and unity within the church there's an amazing man, Cedric Johnson, who came and spoke alongside my husband, um, amazing African-American man building a, a great church in the city. And he quoted out of a book that M. Scott Peck wrote about the four stages to true community. And it was the first time where I went, this has been the struggle that we're dealing with. And those four stages are the first one is pseudo community, fake community mm-hmm. it's that's when we come you know that's when we come to church we've got our facades up we're doing our best we walk in we look good yeah, we all dress you, the same we all dress the right. same we you know, We're homogenous or whatever. I think I you know?
3: that
1: one. <laughs> and, but we walk in and it's kind of like when someone says hi how are you you're like yeah good, good that's man. really about yeah. all the answer and plus please don't tell me how you really are because i'm actually not doing great and it's too messy if you really tell me right right but then the second stage is, is is chaos. Now, look, I got four kids, so it's chaos all the time. <laughs> so the thing is, is we don't necessarily invite chaos, but when does chaos happen? Whether that's news events, like a chaotic moment that happens in your life, trial, tragedy, all of those things that cause our walls to come down even though we don't want them to, mm-hmm. and exposes our true hearts. So that's when you're sitting at the table, we're all saying, we're unified, we all believe the same thing. Y'all, we do not all see the same way. It's only when you sit at a table and break bread And there's a little bit of chaos and you realize you disagree that your hearts are exposed and maybe you can learn something from each other. And then the next stage after that um, is is the emptying of ourselves, which is when we basically uh, death and resurrection. When we die to ourselves, we pick up our cross and we follow Jesus and walk in his resurrection. I think that's the thing, is when we come to the table to break bread, to understand somebody else's plight, not necessarily needing to be understood, but I sit, I wanna understand you. I didn't mm-hmm. walk a mile in your shoes. Mm-hmm. I don't get it, it's messy, but I'm not here to be understood, I'm here to see you as mm-hmm. a person. It's not all about me. And mm-hmm. then you have true community. And I think that cycle constantly is going on and on, but really, we isolate ourselves from that because that's not easy. Mm-hmm. And, um, it takes time. It ta- it, and that, right there, is what a lot of us maybe aren't ready to stick around for. Because either what happens in the chaos stage is either people plant themselves and they're like, we're gonna do this, even though I'm scared out of my mind, or they're like, bye. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah.
1: community is really important. I believe in the times we're living in, so. I'm thinking yeah. of somebody
2: watching this at home, Andy, yeah. and maybe they live in a very different city, a different yeah. environment. yeah. And they, they listen to you because, I mean, you're very passionate. And you're a pastor. You're New York. You're very on the edge. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have times yourself when you're just like, you know what, Lord, I don't even know. Uh, what do you do? One hundred
1: percent. When you find yourself
2: in a tough spot, yeah. but there's too many demands on your day. Yeah. Where do you run?
1: Where do help? I run? Well. I, I, I'm glad you actually brought that up because over the last year, I mean, if my husband was here, he'd be laughing because I handed in my resignation like multiple times. Like, I quit. He's like, okay, babe. <laughs> no. um, but actually, at the end of our um, summer vacation this year, I sat there at the table across from him. We had a staycation, and I was so exhausted because <laughs> you're at home, so you're cleaning all the time. With, kid. um, <laughs> you know, with four kids, right? With four kids, yeah, and okay. we got a dog because that's smart. Let's train a dog on our in staycation. New York. That's a really <laughs> yeah. good idea in New York. Lots of room. Um, Totally. And so we're sitting there and I actually did say to him in that moment, I said, I need to change my pace. I actually need to go part-time. I I don't want to quit, but I do. And so I just know the stage that I'm at, the place that I'm at for my mental health. I don't want to isolate because I know my extremes, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, if I don't recognize this right now, I'll be like, peace out, babe. Mm -hmm. Hope you enjoy the church. I'm going to go move somewhere. Come if you want to join me. (laughs) You know what I mean? I know that tendency in myself. And so.
3: <laughs> does he know that? Oh, 100%.
1: Okay, okay. And he just, just checking, like. Just he, he does. He loves. He'd, he'd be quick. watching this going, yeah, that's true. Cool. Um, but he's so steady and amazing. And I'm like, I don't know how I married a man that's just like so steady. And I'm like, woo, let's go on the roller coaster. He's like, oh my gosh. Um, but what, what was amazing about that is I know if I don't do that, if I'm not honest with where I'm at, no. that I will isolate my. Isolate myself from the community that God mm-hmm. has called me to, and that those three close friends, those beautiful friends, and my husband. So that's where I go. Mm-hmm. There's that tight crew that you have, and then there's those people that you just go. I'm an extroverted introvert. I don't know about anybody else, but like I'm both ends. Like I will party. Like if there's a wedding, I will be on the dance floor all night long. But when it's over, I'm like, bye. I don't want to see anybody anymore. I'm going to be alone for a few days. So <laughs> is anybody else
2: like that? Is I'm it an Justin? introvert all You're the way. You're all day long introvert. I'm an introvert okay. unless I'm with a, unless I'm with people who. You've been given the privilege of speaking to. But I'm thinking of somebody watching Andy and thinking, I don't even know if I am a fake or a follower. Yeah. How do you identify that in your own life?
1: Yeah. Well, I think for me, what I had to do was kind of peel back some of the layers. And that's why. Each chapter in this book kind of uncovers a lot of different things about where we can kind of self-discover, am I faking this? Because here's the deal, we're all faking something, right? So can we be real about that? And I think it's just more of a journey of being patient with ourselves, walking out the journey on a daily basis. Because, I mean, I talk about posting it or living it. I talk about the fact that we live in a time again where it's like, oh, you know, praying for a hashtag or whatever. I'm like, but are we? Like, are we praying? Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just a really great hashtag. Love your neighbor. Okay, are you saying that because you think somebody else should be loving their neighbor and you're mad at everyone right now for not loving their neighbor? Or are you actually Probably. digging deep? All, all I'm saying is, is I think there's multiple ways. So we've gotten to so fast paced as well. Think about this. There's multiple things in here. I talk about worship. I talk about um, being extroverted introverts, that Jesus was like all about the people, but all about being alone. Yeah. And like, are we really doing that or are we just go, go, go? It's a balance. And it is a balance. And I think it's, it's us constantly being patient with ourselves walking it out um, and taking it a day at a time, being patient with ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think
3: I see when you, when you pose that question, fake mm-hmm. or follower, that it's really an introspective question.
1: Yes. Is, yeah. is
3: that where it really begins?
1: I think it's an introspective question. And then it's also, um, yes, I would say that for the individual that would pick up this book and go, okay, I want to make sure that I'm working this stuff out of my life, but also for the church today, my heart is that, oh man, that we would display a Christ that actually works because we could list today all of the news cycle. I mean, it doesn't matter what day we're in, the news cycle is crazy. Mm -hmm. And we need the kingdom of heaven, the gospel, the good news to be Mm -hmm. going into the middle of all of that. One of my friends, Philip. Atmore, he, he said, you know, a lot of times he's he's an African-American man. He's one of my friends where we talk about all of this race stuff all the time. And he goes, you know, a lot of times I think the church is waiting for these things to die down because it's like a distraction from us moving the gospel for it. He's like, no, this is an entry point for the gospel. Mm-hmm. All of these mm-hmm. are opportunities and entry points. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I'm saying to the body as a whole. Yep. Come on, guys. Yep. And also to the individual. Yep.
3: And you know, there's another great entry point into the gospel and to being real. And that is getting out and meeting people's needs, Sheila. I know that you've been out in the, the mission field. I've been out in the mission field. We call it that, but that's just the real world. That's, that's where we need to be as Christians. I want you to go see another one of our mission partners as she walks into an area where there's some real need. And then I want to tell you what you can do to be the gospel in someone's life. Watch this.
4: East Africa. Many would see exceptional beauty in the wildness of its terrain, but the families struggling to survive here every day see a very different landscape, one marred by loss and darkened by grief. Claudine, a single mother in the remote village of Uganda, is all too familiar with this view.) <laughs> It always seems to come down to the same issue everywhere I go, and that is their water source. Nago, Nago, office. I have come to know that there is a solution, there is something that works. The truth is there's water underneath my feet and I know that we could drill a well that will go deep enough to hit clear, fresh, clean, healthy water. A divine opportunity awaits us, an immense need and a viable solution at a critical time. With your partnership, we can bring hope and health to countless families in desperate need of our help.
3: You know, Sheila, she, she says, when you put your faith in God, He provides. And I know there's people watching right now who have faith in God, and they're the provision.
2: You know, it's so interesting because when I've walked on these um, places in Angola where or Burundi, you know, it's easy to watch on TV and think, oh, that's that's terrible. But when you're actually there and you see what it's like, these these moms have no choice. You know, the only water that's available for hundreds of miles are these dirty puddles. And I've watched these children drink the only water that's available. And I've wept with mothers who've lost, like that mom, two children and are so afraid they'll they'll lose the others. But they have no choice. You can't give your children nothing. So they just give them what they have and then they pray. I think one of the greatest adventures in this life is to get to be the answer to the prayers of people we've never actually even met. Maybe you watch that story of that mom and you think, I want to be the answer to her prayer. Well, it's so doable. Our goal for this year, for 2019, is we want to put 200 new water wells into villages. I've been in the villages where there's nothing. I have stood beside a mom at the grave of her latest little one, and I've been in a village where we've put in a water well, and the difference is literally night and day, death and life. Would you help us? Mm -hmm.
3: Actually, those 200 wells, that's just the beginning of the year. That's how we're going to start the year. With your help, we will far exceed that this year. We're looking into 15 nations where we have provided drinking water in the past, clean drinking water, and we want to expand in those areas and just bless more people. Let me break this down for you. One well, on average costs $4,800 to drill that well to put it in place. So here's how it works out. Your gift of $48 will on average reach 10 people for a lifetime with clean drinking water. Clean drinking water changes everything for the people in these villages. I've been there. I've stood there at a well. I was just at one not too long ago in Africa. And. This is a place, it's it's interesting because we we talk about community. Sheila, have you ever noticed that that water well becomes a point of community? People gather at the well, just like in biblical times. And they come there for clean, fresh drinking water because it gives them life. So as we go and we share the life and love of Christ in the gospel, will you go with us? and demonstrate the gospel for these people by giving them that fresh, clean drinking water, it saves lives. Go to the phone right now. Go online. Give the best gift you can. Help us put arms of love around the world through Water for Life.
0: Today, a mother living in extreme poverty will do the unthinkable. Give her children dirty, diseased-filled water that she knows could kill them with no other choice. What's a mother to do? With your help, clean water is on the way. Mission Water for Life provides a way for parents to save the lives of their children, to offer them a bright future free from the fear of death. With your gift today, you can help drill and establish the first 200 water wells of the year. Your gift of $24 will help provide clean water for five children. A gift of $48 will help provide for 10. $72 $72 will provide for 15 and $144 will help provide life-giving water for 30 people for a lifetime. With your gift, we'll send you the Praying Grace 55-Day Devotional. This new devotional will help you renew your mind to the realities of God's grace and help you pray powerful grace-based prayers for each day. With your gift of $100 or more, request the Praying Grace Tumblr, This reusable 16 ounce container is constructed with insulated stainless steel, perfect for hot or cold beverages. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people, or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well. And you may request a beautiful new commemorative bronze sculpture safe in the shepherd's arms. Please call, write, or make your gift online. The water behind
3: me has already taken the lives of two children that we know of. I know because I just left their parents and their younger remaining sister in their graveyard. It's not right that children should die, and it's not right that they should die with a waterborne disease that we can so easily stop. Let's give them fresh water. Let's give them water that will not kill them. Let's give them water that will bring them life. Let's give these children a hope and a future by giving them clean drinking water. Go to the phone, go online, do it right now, make the best gift you can. Help us bring this village and so many other villages like it, a source of fresh, clean water. Let's give them water for life. Let's give them a hope and a future. We can do it with your help.
2: Thank you so much. If the phone's busy, keep calling. We get to be the answer to their prayers. We need to say, not on our watch mm-hmm. is this going to happen. And for any gift at all, we would love to send you Andy's book, Fake or Follower. As you can tell, she has a lot to say. <laughs> and it's all really, really good. So please, <laughs> would you help me thank our guest, Andy you. Andrew. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you, thank you so, so, good to have you. so much. Thanks for being with us. For Randy and I, just God bless you. And we'll see you next time on Life Today. Inside, I was still the same scared little girl.
0: Sheila Walsh shares her story of breaking free from a prison of shame. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.